0: Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Simon, Simon, Simon. Hey, Um, hey. I'm good. How are you?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm just trying to kick this coffee, coldy thing. It's got a bit of a lingerer.
0: Oh no, it's one of those summer things. Yeah, there's there's a few of those in uh, in our neck of the woods. I'm not going to ask you what you've been doing this week because that is going to give away the uh, the, the theme of the show. But um, are we going to keep it like tight this week?
1: Let's try. Let's see if we can do it. 30 minutes is probably too much of an ask for us. But if we get to 40, let's see if we can do that.
0: Because anybody who's struggled through the last few episodes is going to appreciate that.
1: I think so. I think so. They're probably looking forward to Cloud Part 2 during the uh, as a result of the length of Cloud Part 1, aren't they?
0: I should have thought so, and, uh, and I've really enjoyed the, uh, the NASA one by now. Um,
1: so, what have you been up to this week, Simon? So, this week I've been to the NAFEMS 2018 UK conference in Milton Keynes, which is just down the road from me.
0: Now, I'm glad you started with that, because I can't ever remember whether it's NAFEMS or NAFEMS, but um, NAFEMS, we will go with that.
1: I think it doesn't matter.
0: No, these things are important, Simon.
1: Okay. What did I, I can't remember what... What did I say, NAFEMS? Yeah, you did. Let's go with that then.
0: <laughs> um, so you got out of the building and went to a conference.
1: I got out of the building and went to a conference. Um, I don't get to go to that many conferences and I certainly don't get to go to that many that are simulation-specific, just because the ones that I do get to go to see are more often industry sector or client-driven. So it was a um, a nice get-out to go and reimburse myself in the world of uh, engineering simulation.
0: I, um, I mean, I also don't get out much. I mean, that's in general, but I also don't get to many uh, conferences. Are there many engineering sort of simulation-focused conferences? Because this is a simulation-focused conference, wasn't it?
1: Yes. Um, so, well, the only ones I know of are probably the same ones that you know of. So the uh, open phone guys do uh, regular ones. So there's the workshop and then there's the ESI conference. I don't know if they're both annual. I think the ESI one's annual. I'm not sure about the workshop. Um but those are the ones that I'd, I'd probably be most keen to go to.
0: They're borderline um, UGMs, really, aren't they?
1: Yeah, I guess they are. Um, but it's, you know, um, if you're an open-foam fanboy like we are, then I think they're probably the ones of most interest. Mayfams is nice because it's I enjoyed the breadth. So obviously there was some CFD, there was some FEA, um, some structural material stuff, some biomedical stuff, some general um, Was there any systems
0: or, stuff? You know, like um, as as our friend Pete hates us calling it zero D modeling.
1: Um, not explicitly, um, but I'll touch a little bit on system stuff um, when we talk about some of the details.
0: Okay, I'll stop rushing ahead. the <laughs> uh, The only two kind of conferences that I regularly get to, and these are most definitely in a different league or a different area altogether are the developed 3D one, which I go to purely for inspirational purposes. You sort of come away from it thinking, wow, yeah, let's go and do stuff. Um, No... No simulation there, at least not for the last few years. And the other one is the AWS Summit because I am a big AWS user and can't manage to get to the big AWS event that they have in Vegas every year. So they have a a mini event that they travel around the world with these AWS summits, and I've been to the the well, try and make time to go to the one in London most years, which uh, it's got good
1: swag. Excellent. Yes, I'd be interested. I would have gone to that uh, this year if I could. Um, That was definitely on my list. Um, I mean, the only other one that's on my list is, um, I think there's one towards the end of this year, and it's a high fidelity, high order um, affair. So I think it's trying to bring some of the new codes, certainly like PiFR. I think that's how you say that. Was it PiFire? Can't remember. PiFR. and so that's got the Imperial College guys there, and a few other people who I'm not aware of. But there are some um, well-known names at that one, like Mr. Spellart from Boeing. Um, Ooh! So that that's one that I would like to try and make at the end of the year.
0: So we'll pencil that in as another episode.
1: <laughs> yes, should we uh, should we crowdsource our uh, combined attendance?
0: I was going to say there's no budget in the podcast to send <laughs> either of us. Never mind both of us. Um, so getting it back on track to uh, NAFEM's conference um, it's the UK one yeah this is not the worldwide jobby No
1: it's not the worldwide jobby it's the UK one so they do a UK one every two years um, they do other regional ones um, and I can't describe the regions but obviously there's North America uh, I think there's one in Europe I'm not sure if there's a one in India but they're trying to get a you know a kind of good global reach um, and all of those are every two years,
0: right? So, is it is it like a is it more trade show or conference or,
1: or what are, um, we, what are we talking? It's not a trade show, so um, I mean there was um, a lot of vendors there, unsurprisingly. Um, but I mean the um, the obvious uh, caveat is you have to be an AFM's member. Are um,
0: these are these kind of vendors with stands or vendors just walk in the halls?
1: Um, then both. Oh, right. stands. um and actually i think i should retract my last name because i don't think you have to have to be a member but you get a members discount
0: yeah yeah makes uh, sense
1: so i think um pr- probably a fair proportion of attendees are members um but i didn't i don't know that um i haven't seen an attendee list um but from a vendor perspective siemens were there uh msc software were there edr mediso wild um usual suspects usual suspect well ansys wasn't there but oh it wasn't there directly but it was there through wild and there through edr mediso so that was um i was kind of interested why ansys weren't there um siemens were there so i caught up with some old friends on the siemens stand um had a little bit of a wander around i was just more interested in in the content so the talks were um some of them were obviously from vendors but they were not commercial so they weren't sales pitches. Uh, right. as, as much as you can get um, a commercial vendor to talk about their software without it being a sales pitch, um, but it was more about applications, relevant functionality, things that um, are helpful and useful to users and the general community about doing things. So it was, whilst there were a lot of vendors there, it was not a you know it wasn't a, wasn't a big kind of sales event from a vendor's perspective because that's not what Naifems are about.
0: But it didn't have a particular industry focus.
1: No, so it was um, very broad. I mean, the headline was taking engineering analysis and simulation to the next level. So that was across, you know, fluid structures, um, meshing, lots of different things.
0: That sounds a little bit like one of them TV talent shows.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, maybe a little bit, but there were were for me a few next level things in there.
0: Simon, we're going to take this CFD to the next level.
1: Let's do that.
0: Um, I say CFD. I'm assuming there was a good wedge of CFD and it wasn't all mainly FEA or whatever.
1: Um, No, there was a good balance. I mean, obviously my um, slant is on the CFD side, so I angled more towards the CFD material. Um, But there was a good, uh, a good bunch of things that sounded like, um, good developments and pushing the level on in FEA, but I don't know FEA as well to know how much that was, if you know what I mean. Um, So it all sounded um, very developmental, but my perspective on FEA is slightly different to my perspective on CFD.
0: Yeah, FEA is like CFD, but easy, isn't
1: it? Yeah, you don't need big computers. No, No, just do it all explicitly. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, should we post that one on the Facebook group and see?
0: Yeah, I clipped that bit out. <laughs> jolly good. Put it on Twitter. <laughs>
1: um, yes. So for me, there was lots. of I mean, I particularly enjoyed the um, keynotes. There were good keynotes. Do you want me to just to get into it and tell you what I thought about the keynotes?
0: I do, yes. Um, okay. Unless I was going to say, so although not industry specific, were there any sort of thematic or some themes that that were either accidentally stood out or were put together?
1: Um,
0: you mentioned think, the next level, but I don't know. What yes, I mean.
1: so well, I guess that was probably the uh, a broad, le- high level the theme. There were a few things that. um that I don't think were by design, but certainly um, additive manufacturing and manufacturing from an AI perspective were kind of sort of linked along a theme, which hopefully I'll explain a bit better in a minute. Um, So yeah, those were the ones that kind of felt a little bit um, like they cut across a few of the talks and a few of the things that were going on. Um, But I mean, Digital Twin was there, and I actually quite enjoyed the Digital Twin.
0: Um, oh we are coming back to that then okay good <laughs> so um keynotes. Do, to, keynotes do you want to start there i mean is that um, is that is that what stood out the most it's um, yes. always good if that happened
1: um yes because there were three keynotes that i particularly enjoyed and they did kind of uh fit the bill of being a keynote um so the first one the opening keynote was um by a chap called Robert Joyce, who I hadn't heard of, but um, he is the uh, retired JLR Group engineering director, so um, of reasonable fame within the industry. Um, and he gave quite an interesting talk about his experience. Um, it was, a re- uh, I think the headline was uh, Engineering Simulation as, as, a route, as Viewed from the Boardroom. Um, but he kind of did a quick whistle stop tour on his career, starting out um, looking at working on test beds for engines of different sizes. And when you get to the very large engines, you can't really have a test bed because it just costs too much to run the tests. So you have to do a bit of maths um, and then trying to work out why they didn't do a bit of maths for the smaller engines, just because everybody thought it was easier to put them on a test bed. Um, So that was uh, interesting. And he ended with the snap line, um, analysis always beats development testing. Um, which obviously was um, a positive thing for a room full of simulation folk. Um, but I thought that was interesting. Um, and his point there was really around the understanding and insight you get from doing the analysis um, as opposed to doing isolated or repeated development testing. Sometimes development testing repeated so much that you've done so many that your thousandth test is actually the same as your fifth and you don't know it. Um, was this... so? I think-
0: so- Analysis, as a, not to not to break it up too much, but analysis as a synonym for simulation, or analysis as just a think about
1: what you're doing, uh, uh, as a sy- uh, synonym for simulation or maths or a little model. So not necessarily not necessarily racking out your um, your big fluent license on ninety six cores and. Um, blowing it away that way, but doing some maths and writing a bit of code or some equations, you know, all that kind of um, the analytical approach as opposed to the experimental approach. Understood. Um, And I thought it was interesting because he didn't say simulation always beats experiment um, because I think that would have, for me, not been quite true because you can get a lot of value from experiment. For me, experiment can be a broader thing than development testing. Development testing is very kind of isolated, repeated, change one thing, two things, whatever you're doing to try and improve performance. So I, I kind of bought into that from the story of um, how that had kind of um, developed. You, you, of you know full
0: well nobody's got time to change one thing at a time and everybody changes half a dozen and then spends the time that they would have spent testing scratching their head as to why it doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, I said change one thing and maybe two things. Yes, you're right. Absolutely, um, I've got a phrase for that, but I'm not going to repeat it on the podcast. Maybe that's for a separate conversation.
0: Okay. The uh, yeah, we got a clean tag on on iTunes, so let's not let's not lose that.
1: It was <laughs> well, yeah, okay. It will be in the grey area, but let's move okay. on. Um, I mean, the other thing that I found interesting, as well as talking about simulation, was he was uh, talking about electric vehicle development, um, replacing petrol diesel engines with batteries. Um, and he had some numbers which were quite evident in showing that the cost would be less for uh, manufacture, maintenance, use from an electric vehicle perspective. Um, and I think, as a result of him doing consultancy post being JLR, um, there's still some way to go in terms of um, battery development for the automotive sector. But he was very positive about that. Um, and he so was—is
0: he—is he kind of JLR free? now as in does he was there an agenda or was he just telling it how it is
1: uh, I, my perception was he was telling it how he is uh, how it is i mean he does do some consulting post his jlr um, experience um but it kind of made sense and i can't remember the details uh, but he was talking about you know areas where um where, um electric batteries for automotive still have some development potential that has yet to be realized Which isn't a surprise, really, given how long they've been around.
0: No, absolutely. Uh, And when you break them down, the fact that they uh, resemble a lot of the sort of batteries that you get in your torch um, strapped together in a a fairly uh, dense package.
1: um, So the other interesting thing was um, using the same kind of approach to look at driverless um, cars. So from a cost perspective, that's um, an increase over where the automotive industry is today in terms of development costs you know manufacturing support and all those kind of things so he was less um, bullish about driverless and his view was that actually that's nothing as fundamental as the powertrain shift because driverless is essentially just a feature of your car that is quite difficult and costly to implement Um, so that was quite an interesting perspective
0: yeah the uh yeah, I mean, I can, I can see, I can see his point of view on that. I think the uh, the whole driverless thing comes down to the uh, it then leads on to an ownership model, doesn't it? And if your car can come and pick you up in the morning, then does it need to be sat on the drive all night? That sort yes. of thing.
1: Yes. So I thought the driverless was going to go all guns blazing, but his view was that he's not actually that interested in not having a steering wheel, um, and I'm I'm sure there's quite a few people that share his view. Um,
0: particularly the bloke who was driving that Mustang at Goodwood.
1: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, It's kind of interesting from my perspective. I've got a a small to moderate-sized bet with one of my good friends um, who I see every so often for a a bite to eat and a trip to cinema that within 10 years um, I will be able to make that trip to see him uh, in a car that's driving itself. Uh, So I was slightly more bullish prior to listening to Bob.
0: And more importantly, make the trip back.
1: Uh, well, yes, or, or having won the bet there, I could probably afford a cab on the way home. Yeah.
0: So um, that's one. Who else? What else stood out?
1: That's one. Uh, the next one was um, Phil Cartwright from the Centre for Modelling and Simulation from Bristol. Um, CFMS. CFMS. The um, and there's quite a lot of AI in there. Um uh, I mean, there was some some CFD, there was some landing gear CFD, which was related to some work that one of um, one of his guys had been doing, I think as part of ZED, CFD and Zenatech uh, using their high order solvers. So there was a separate presentation on that, which was interesting. But I think a lot of what Phil was saying was uh, certainly AI heavy. Um, and it was quite interesting because it was well applied AI. So, looking at manufacturing processes and variation in the manufacturing chain, um, and looking at how to um, use drones to do—I um, can't remember—it was fatigue analysis, some kind of structural analysis on um, aircraft uh, wings uh, and external surfaces, and actually using the AI to predict what. The important behaviours are in terms of the failure and life of the parts and the components. He was very heavy. He said, Physic- understanding the physics of failure, a lot, um, which is obviously what um, you know people like Rolls Royce and Airbus are about." Um, but that was very interesting because it was still, by his own admission, at the experimental stage. Um, this use of AI, but it seemed it felt to me like it was kind of past some of the buzzwords and heading in the right direction.
0: Oh, I'm sure there's something on that Gartner-Hype curve. And I was just going to say that I understand the physics of failure, but I think we're talking like about mechanical failure here, aren't we, rather than like yes. a emotional or a psychological.
1: <laughs> yes, parts. Okay. Part failure, part, not human failure. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Um, yeah. And there was another interesting one where they got some data um, from Bristol Council about the behavior of people coming out of, I think, it is it Temple Mead, the station in Bristol? Yep. Um, and they were kind of um, using the CCTVs to kind of track people's um, movements around exiting the station and using AI to fit characteristics and then using the AI to predict how people would move on subsequent days and apparently doing quite a good job of getting the patterns right. Um, so that was interesting. It was obviously kind of characterising people's behaviours, but not individuals, so kind of anonymized behaviours. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. They, sure yes
1: yeah, well, well, he assured me there was no facial recognition involved. Um, and to be fair, there were some good questions from the audience around the kind of social implications of, of that level of um, data analysis and behavioural tracking. Um, and then Bob from... And jlr stood up and said, well, yes, it's kind of similar in the automotive world. um, But don't forget, most of you, when you're driving around, you've got your phone with you, so Google knows what you're doing. Um, There's not much you can do about it. So it felt very much like a a sensible set of applications that were um, not buzzword heavy, but actually trying to do meaningful things with AI and making good progress by the sounds of it.
0: So would you go as far as to say that it was probably, was it one of the first kind of times you've seen sort of a real implementation of of AI in this sort of space?
1: Yes, it was for me. Um, And I mean, certainly the manufacturing process and supply chain dynamics were clearly engineering related. The, people behaviour at Bristol Temple Maid's obviously not so much engineering, but still a, um, a good technical application that helps you, I don't know, uh, manage road closures or other things like that. Feels, um, like it a, was-
0: feels like a plenty tricky problem though. So, you know, this a sort of, it wasn't like it was an easy thing that they were looking at.
1: No, it wasn't like an easy thing. Um, and I, the thing that was kind of nice was there was no, um, you know, no diagrams of neural nets in there. It was just Uh, look here's a video of where the AI thinks people are going to be moving around uh, a wider section of Bristol City because they broadened it out just from Temple Meads Um, and all look it's overlapped with pretty much where the people actually went Um, so you know there was technical detail behind it that wasn't evident but it was a keynote at the start of the presentation so I think the level there was for me was uh, really well placed and it was just nice to see something more than Um, try not to be too cynical of yes my computer knows this is a picture of a dog um, which you see quite a lot of Um, And I'm sure that was slightly unfair of me I'm sure there's some good applications of AI that you can find if you go looking around but it um, certainly in our field it felt like it was um, some good progress.
0: I was just going to say was there any sort of hint or um, idea of of how it might be applied in in CFD or in in FEA, perhaps, or uh, like that.
1: Not so much there. I mean, there was another talk um, later on by a chap from Fujitsu who was using it to um, essentially identify CAD parts. Um, so, trying to take two D image recognition over to three D, um, and then essentially had a in the demo, he had a he wasn't doing it live, but it was pre recorded. We had a little um, camera and a light source, and he put a you know, like a little bolt underneath it, and then it would recognize the bolt and just show him all the all the CAD library bolt equivalents that he could use in his CAD model. So it was that kind of nice way of being able to pick things from your CAD library based on um, visual information rather than trying to sort through lists of, you know, bolt standard categories and things like that. Um, so, I mean, that was something that was a little bit more, visual and closer to what i would describe as what i've been familiar with from what i've seen of ai but there was certainly nothing around picking constants in turbulence models or other things like that certainly not at the conference
0: oh, i was thinking like if i showed it the rule box could it fit me a really nice rear wing in here
1: <laughs> no it's not there yet come on, um, on. But you, well you know you know that well i don't know maybe this is another sensible conversation to, for us to have separately but i think we've Probably both agree that that requires quite a lot of CFD as well as some AI. Yes. Yes. Good.
0: Um, yeah, throw myself off then. I've, dera- <laughs> I've derailed my own train of thought. Um, so that's two. Did you say there's so, three? Three keynotes.
1: Yes. So Bill Dawes of Cambridge Whittle Lab um, and Cambridge Flow Solutions fame. Are you familiar uh-huh. with Cambridge Flow Solutions? I'm familiar with the name only then oh the name so what would your uh how would you feel if i said boxer mesh uh, I
0: I'm, I'm if if we had video on i'd be you'd be you'd be could tell from my blank look
1: okay um so boxer mesh yeah is mesher um it's I used to I used to start out by describing it as being quite light, snappy, but I think um, it's probably closer to CF mesh in the fact that it does prisms really quite nicely. Um, so it's a commercial piece of software, but they do a lot of um, solver development, kind of crossover industrial application, university researchy type stuff. Um, and Bill was talking about the digital twin. Um, <sighs> real, well. Let me, let me wake you from your slumber. Um, this is proper digital twin. This is not mucking about. Um, so, this is um, the example was around uh, gas turbines or steam turbines. Uh, so, turbines in a power generating capacity. Um, and the argument was in order to get decent data from your simulation, that needs to be a coupled aero thermo model so all of the things going on yeah i always do it like that yeah, yeah yes and all of the things going on through all of the stages of the compressor compressor um, and all of those things um and then you can do well the point was if you just did that you couldn't really do a very good comparison um, to whatever live metrics you're modeling from your your um, data sampling from all of your um, measurement points in there because you then have to put the turbine in its enclosure uh in its building and then model what's happening to the airflow around the building
0: on a friday in december
1: well so here this was the interesting point to me um the description was then you've got to take it to the system level, which I fully bought into, and it was really quite fascinating. There was a subsequent presentation by another one of the guys from CFMS um, who was describing um, one of their neat innovations to handle geometry. Um, So Bill Dawes made this point quite strongly that if you're going to do this level of simulation that he was describing where your scale goes from um, the entire external Um, building geometry of the power station, and it goes down to the cooling holes in the turbine blades, um, you're going to need a lot of compute power and absolutely everything has to be in parallel. Um, And so some of the links to the later material were around how to do the geometry bit in parallel so that you didn't have to pop out of whatever you were doing in however many cores you're having to run on to change something back into a serial geometry process and then you're slowing the whole thing down so there was a good thread through that uh, about how you would deal with some of those challenges to make geometry parallel but i was i was i was pretty blown away by that because that didn't for me the digital twin was here's my cfd model of my turbine and here's my turbine with uh, a whole bunch of measurement devices on for uh, heat and pressure and all these other bits Um, and you run them next to each other and and that's okay. But um, Bill was saying, well, that's not okay. You need, you need to go bigger. Um, and I was quite impressed.
0: So what were the implications of this?
1: Um, well, the message was um, you have to parallelize everything. Um, so you can't, you can't have any part of your process of running one of these. I don't really know. Model sounds like it doesn't really do it justice anymore. Um, so this was where you were mentioning earlier on in the chat about system modelling. Yes. So, uh, so this was a description of you have to have the system, which is the power generation plant and all parts of it. Um, but it was interesting where you draw the line for the system boundary. Um, so, the power generation plant sitting in, you said I can't remember, middle of December, um, sitting in some. Um, environmental conditions, wind direction, speed. Um, but you could then extend that out to modeling the weather and before you know it, you're simulating the world, um, which obviously is not feasible. And um, But it was an interesting thought process about where you decide your system boundaries are in that scenario. Um, but yes, just in terms of the scope and the scale, um, I was quite blown away from my picture of a digital twin of a uh, of a gas turbine.
0: So it sounds a little bit like before anybody's really got their handle on doing a digital twin properly, that we've got people telling us that we're not doing it properly. Um,
1: well, maybe. Um, I, I kind of, I believe the rationale.
0: Yeah, no, it um, makes sense. It makes sense. I was probably I think right.
1: you're right. I don't think anybody's got, you know, lots of comparisons of um, real-life um, data of gas turbines in power stations and compared them to different flavors of digital twin um, but the point was things like um, decaying of coatings on turbine blades um, the argument was that you need to consider the factors out to that level of the of the system description yeah and um, I kind of I kind of bought into it um, and he was quite strong on the the whole paralyzed thing he uh, mentioned Anna as the Andal's law that I can't remember uh, the equation. But basically for whatever percentage uh, or decimal proportion of your system that's serial, you can only scale up in parallel to one over that. So if 10 percent or point one of your process is serial, you can only scale up in parallel by a factor of 10, one over point one. According to Andal's law, so this was more about um, the breadth of parallelizing something compared to what you and I might normally talk about in terms of parallelizing our open phone run on run on N instances of, of Amazon. Um, but that was his whole point: was you just have to eliminate every single serial process from what you're doing at that scale.
0: Sounds I can I can see why your mind was blown. Is there a Um, an implication in digital twin that these things need to be real time
1: um well (laughs) i guess from this perspective um i don't think you could do um just given the scale of the thing um and i'm not sure how that works i mean a lot of the monitoring um so some of the material that Cartwright was talking about was um, real live monitoring by Rolls-Royce of um, jet engine performance so that you can then um, optimize the maintenance scheduling against the condition of the engine Um, and a lot of the thrust from the uh, power station perspective was similar so it's a case of understanding what rate things will decay at um, from a lifing perspective so that you know how to change the parameters and the operating conditions of your power station. So the, the kind of the real-time bit wasn't as evident. It was more about characterising performance decay and then understanding how you would tune your real-time operating conditions in response to what you believe the degradation would be on the back of your digital twin model.
0: Because where I'm, where I'm going to stroke driving at is if you essentially can't really do as good a job as you know you should where you you talk about drawing a line on your system boundary where do you draw the line as to what's good enough in your digital twin because you almost get to the point where you're saying well it's not right um so we need to do all these other things to make it better well Better right and good enough at uh, different points on a continuum. Um, um, have we even got to good enough yet?
1: Um, I don't think there's enough well, not that I've seen evidence to say that we have, um, but I think it's it's kind of difficult to to really quantify good enough or right. Um, I think it's so complicated in terms of the physics. Of all of those things um, in a steam turbine, compared to component and part lifing, compared to um, all the, I guess the the bells and whistles that you'd have in how you set up and tune your power station to generate however many megawatts it needs to, um, and this is sitting in the middle of all of that. So certainly, I don't, I don't even know how easy it is to have a clear picture of. Good enough, but if you've got some reliable information that tells you that you can optimize your life and your maintenance schedule by changing the way your um, power plants operating then that feels like it's good enough to me yeah
0: absolutely so I, that was, that, I would I would agree with that absolutely
1: um, yes. So you can probably tell that did blow me away, that one, a bit. And that's the first time I've tried to recount it to anyone.
0: Well, no, I think it d- did all right. You d- managed to deal with my ridiculous questions having not been there. Um, was What was missing? What did you not see at this conference?
1: Um, I didn't see any um, external aero from an automotive perspective. In fact, I don't think I saw very much automotive Um I guess that's more of a uh, a view from our perspective, given our familiarity and love of things automotive safety, but you know nothing It's because it's,
0: it's, it's really hard
1: <laughs> yeah I can do I can do my system level power generation uh, but I can't do external aero I mean to be fair, there was a bit from aerospace, so there was a few things on things like um, landing gears um, leaning towards some of the more high order stuff. Um, and I don't think it, I don't think it, the um, the content was any worse for the absence of of that. And maybe there was some there, some you know some external error stuff that I didn't see. Um, but it was just I mean it's, it's kind of where you and I grew up a little bit in the world of CFD. So you kind of half expect to see it.
0: So that was keynotes and a whistle stop through the keynotes and what wasn't there. Anything else catch your eye?
1: Um, There was an interesting talk from a retired head of mechanical engineering from Strathclyde University in Glasgow. Um, Mm -hmm. And he was making the point about um, the access that people have now to relatively complex um, simulation capability and wondering if that's actually introducing some risk given the um, considerable amount of technical background that's gone into the codes um, and how they work and interpreting results on that basis given that it's easier and quicker these days to generate those results. Um, And he the example he was giving was talking about um, trying to predict the – Plastic failure of pressure vessels as a result of cyclic thermal loading, um, which I, I couldn't comment on from a technical perspective. But the upshot was that the, um, there's, a constitu- or there's a bunch of constitutive models um, that describe this plasticization from cyclic thermal loading. Um, and to understand what they're saying, you essentially have to read a 50 page review paper from one of the specialists in the field. Um, And the conclusion is, they all give different answers and nobody really knows which is the best one to use. Um, And that's against a kind of American Society of Mechanical Engineers position that says, um, if you're going to be reporting lifing of pressure vessels, then you have to have validated um, your models and shown performance in such and such a way. So there was this kind of trade off of the ability to do the simulation um, but the risk of not knowing some of the things behind it could be quite significant given the um, given the ease and access to the tools these days. So that was quite an interesting point he was making.
0: Did he actually use the democratisation word or not?
1: Um, no, he did not say democratisation. Democratisation, uh,
0: democratisation, democratisation. just thought we'd get um, it in.
1: It was, yeah, um, I mean, I think democratisation is one of the one of the key areas of focus for NAFEMS, but it wasn't something that was necessarily um, very evident in terms of the material at the conference. Um, And certainly um, this chap didn't explicitly um, categorise it in that way. But, you know, it was was in that ballpark in terms of the – I can't even say – proliferation. There we go. It's as close as I'm going to get of the simulation tools. Um, And a lot of the angling there was – it's important then to refocus how we train and educate engineers to use these tools, given how much faster, more complicated, easier to access and use they've become over the past five to ten years.
0: Well, Simon, in as though we'd planned this, it feels like that's leading into next week's episode where I wanted to talk about, do you need a PhD to do CFD?
1: Excellent. It does indeed. And that's almost the time, isn't it? Look at that.
0: It is. We, uh, yeah, I'm quite pleased with that. So um, yes, we're, I'm going to leave that hanging, whether you need a PhD to do CFD or not. Um, and we shall think deeply about it and reconvene and discuss it in depth next week.
1: Looking forward to it.
0: Cool. Good to hear about the conference, Simon. I, uh, I think I might Thanks. have to put that on my radar for next time.
1: I've got a big proceedings book um, I'm happy to lend you, if, you uh, if you're having trouble sleeping what are you going to hit me with it <laughs> <laughs> well, well that would be an option
0: <laughs> nice one cool good to me. talk to you son
1: take care bye bye take care bye